Have you ever come to a place in your life? I'm just thinking about this now as I consider the, the text of Revelation 21, the first eight verses, which is where our text will be tonight. But as I think about it, it reminds me of longing for something. Perhaps it's a, an event that is forthcoming. Maybe a trip. Maybe it's a trip to a beautiful location. Maybe you're going to go visit family. Maybe you're going to go to camp. Maybe you're going to be on the you know, beautiful coastal city in Punta Cana, just to name one location. And you, you, you're looking forward to this, and you're longing for this, and you're, you're almost consumed by the thought, by the lovely thought of something coming, something that you can look forward to. And that's what I felt like when I ponder on these verses in Revelation 21, talking about the new Jerusalem. Some of my favorite verses in Scripture, favorite word picture, is in these verses. To think of that time, after we've gone through the, the book of Revelation, and you know, we, we see the, the terrible time, the great tribulation, such as never has been seen uh, in the past or ever will be seen again. Now, that's coming from Daniel, he writes this, right? Something so terrible coming. Um, and the saints have come through this, and some of them have been watching from the throne room of heaven. Um, you know, this great uh, sea of people almost uh, around the throne, they're witness to this. Some are living through this. Some who are, are dying because of their proclamation. And they, they see, you know, this, this apparent, or not apparent, this actual evil that is so, um, rampant in the world. And we see it now, actually, because so much of what we're reading in Revelation is actually happening right now. We are in the last days. Once Jesus, um, uh, returned to heaven, that began the last days. And it ends when he returns. And so we can appreciate a little bit of this. And, and, and I, you know, just this week I saw something, uh, somebody had posted a, a particular, um, Instagram account of somebody and it just grieved me so desperately at the evil that some people hold to. And then we come to this point, you know, the, the scriptures talk about how the false prophet is is uh, turned uh, destroyed, and the beast, um, the great harlot Babylon, they're all destroyed, and then finally even Satan is cast into the lake of fire, and then comes the judgment, and finally um, all of the wrong done in the world that has not been repented of, that has not been put at the foot of the cross, has been. Paid back in a sense. Justice has been served. And all the, the longing perhaps in our hearts. Oh Lord, how long will you tolerate? How long will you, will you allow this sin to run rampant? That answer has come and the time is finished. And then comes eternity. Then comes what we are now going to look at. 
We can't picture that. We, we can maybe try for a moment just to capture a glimpse, a shadow of that feeling. But that's all it is, is just a shadow. Because nothing in this world will ever compare to what God has prepared for us. And even though our hearts perhaps don't even uh, properly long for it, maybe we need to repent of that. Perhaps we, we need to repent of, of this focus on here and now and become so much more heavenly minded. Let's look at the first eight verses and we'll see what John saw here, beginning in verse one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and the whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's finish with verse 8 for now. We'll continue later with uh, the rest of the the rest of the verses another time. However, so we, we, we begin, it says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. If we look back in uh, the previous chapter, in, in chapter 20, verse 11, uh, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face the earth, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So here we see uh, when God sits on the, the great white throne, um, heaven, the, the heavens and earth, so the, the earth, terra firma, what we all are part of right here and right now, plus the known universe, the sky, the stars, the cosmos, everything has passed away. It all flees from him and it says, and there was no place found for it, for them. They're gone. Um, it's, essentially they vanish. And here we see a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now some people think that perhaps the, the, what Jesus or what God is talking about here is that the heaven and earth were just um, remade or renewed. But we, I think it's reasonable to say that, uh, and perhaps it is actually, I, I shouldn't say I know for certain, but uh, 
Either way, it's irrelevant in a sense because what we have before us, what John sees, is the new heaven and the new earth, whether it was the old just remade new and perfect, uh, redeemed, or if it's a brand new creation, which I think it is. But he sees this coming down. Now, see, John, this probably would have resonated very much with John and probably would have resonated with all of his followers or all those who would hear, especially the Jews and, and especially the Jews, because this is not something that John sees for the first time, um, or that is suddenly like a, a new idea for the Jewish people, because this is something that they've been looking forward to all along. This is something that has, you know, that anticipation for the trip, you know, you book the trip and, and you, you hear the details and you start looking at the pamphlet or the brochures and, and you start thinking about the itinerary, we're going to go see this family and this family and so on. This has all happened already in the Old Testament. They have been looking forward to this time. They have been longing for this time. Isaiah chapter 65, and this is the text where John would have, uh, would have been actually drawing from for most of these. It says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her nor the voice of crying. This is what John saw. This the vision that John sees is actually what Isaiah was prophesying from so long ago. And so we see now it's almost like this is the day. This is the day when we're actually getting onto the plane, where we're, we're getting into the car, we're on the train, and we start moving, and we're there, and now we arrive at the location, at the destiny. It also says here that there was no more sea. Interestingly enough, what does this mean? Does this mean figuratively there will be no more sea? Because, you know, from the sea we have a lot of uh, um, chaos and death. If we think about Revelation uh, chapter 13, verse 1, it speaks about this is where the beast rose out of the sea. Um, if we look back on the uh, the few verses before... Verse 13 of chapter 20, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead. So these were um, the sea and, and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them, and they come to be judged. So some think that perhaps this is a figurative uh, a sea, a figure, a figure of death. That this is perhaps uh, indicative of the death and the chaos that oftentimes is associated with the sea. And the romantic part of me wants to say that hopefully it is figurative. Because I would love to be in heaven and to see the sea there. I have such an affinity for water personally. Uh, I, I just, I'm a water baby. And if I could be by water all the time in the ocean or something like that, I would love that. And so the romantic part of me says, I want there to be a sea. But you know what? It doesn't matter. If there's no sea in heaven, guess what? Nobody's going to turn around and say, oh, forget it. I don't want to have any part of a heaven that has no sea doesn't matter. But the scripture here says that there was no more sea. Is this no more death? That would be completely in line with the verses before it, saying that everything that talked of corruption and death and chaos and tumult would have been destroyed and gone away. Perhaps that's what it says here. And then the second verse, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So here John sees the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
Uh, again, there's speculation. Is this talking about an actual city which uh, the people of God will dwell in? Or is this figurative for the people of God, the bride? Like if we look back at Revelation chapter 19, just a few chapters ago, the people of God are considered to be his, um, uh, his wife. Here it says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The new city is a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, Revelations 19 describes the people of God as his wife hath made herself ready. And then she's granted fine linens and clean and white. So is this speaking of the people of God, the, the host of heaven, the not the angels, but the, the children of God, the, the redeemed, the body of Christ coming down, the wife of Christ coming to meet the bridegroom? Um, but again, we see um, that this whole idea of the city, the new Jerusalem uh, coming down in the heavens and the earth, Second Peter verse uh, chapter three, Second Peter chapter three, verse 13 says, "So this is now the New Testament. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So this idea of the new heavens, the new earth coming, being made and renewed and restored, redeemed, perfect. Paradise restored. So in Genesis we have paradise lost. Now we have paradise found. Uncorruptible. All corruption, death, and, and um, uh, hell, and, and, and the sea, they've all been destroyed. And now we have this perfect, uncorrupt earth and the city Jerusalem coming down. And this is something that the, the people of God have always been looking for. This is not something that was just added into the book. This was not something that was foreign to them, like, oh, okay, we never heard about heaven, so maybe now we should start thinking about it. This is something from young boy, young girl, they have been taught all of their lives about the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth, and the, the, the great promises that are contained within that. So it says in verse 3, and this is such a beautiful picture. Now, brothers and sisters, and my dear friends, I want you to, th- to listen to what is happening in verse 3 and verse 4. And let this really, uh, uh, let your imagination go wild in a sense. Let it be filled with these images. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now just think about that for a moment. This is the holy, righteous Father whom you cannot even look upon without dying. The only way that Moses was able to view the Father is that he was stuffed in the crag of the rock, the little cleft of the rock, and as God passed by, he covered him, and then he took his hand away, and he could only see some of the back of God. This is how, how terrible and fearful and holy and righteous God is. And yet here, we have this promise that he will be with us, that God himself shall be with them and be their God, that he shall dwell with them. Can you even for a moment imagine that? Can you imagine the one who speaks worlds into creation and the cosmos into creation, who builds up governments and tears them down, who comforts the, the hearts of, of those who are brokenhearted? This same God, who we cannot even look upon for fear of dying, will dwell with us. 
And not only that, and now this is perhaps one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now can you imagine that? Can you imagine the, t- the, the nail-scarred hand wiping the tears off of your face? It almost makes me want to just weep so that I, I can imagine him uh, wiping my tears from my face. That the God who is so all-powerful, yet is so intimate with us in this place, in the place that we are looking at here. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. All of the things that you know we, we've looked at, that we, we find in the book of Revelation, all those things that we can find uh, through the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the, the terrible things that have happened to the believers, the, the ridicule, the shame, the scorn that you may be experiencing, maybe even today you felt it, all of these things will be passed away. All of these things will become former, done, over. Think about those who committed fornication with the harlot. Those who reveled in everything that was anti-God. All the isms of the world. Humanism, moralism, legalism, Marxism, communism. Everything that put itself up against God and everybody goes for these things. And it says in Revelation 18, when it's talking about the downfall of the harlot, Revelation chapter 18, verse 22 and 23 Talks uses the same phrase that there should be no more. Just the same, we've just heard no more tears, no more crying, sorrow, death. Think back then in Revelation 18, it says, And the sound of the harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard no more. Craftsmen, no more. You won't find them anymore. The sound of the mill, it won't be anymore. The light, the light of a lamp will shine no more. The voice of bridegroom and the bride will be heard no more. All these good things, industry, music, joyful things, things that are beautiful, uh, the marriage relationship, it says outside of God, those things will be no more. For all those who, who took them and enjoyed them illegally, illicitly, because they were not enjoying them in God, but rather enjoying them in the harlot, all of those things were taken away. And the no mores of, of those who, who were faithful, even to death, no more tears, no more death, no mourning, nor crying, nor pain. All of those things are taken away. Wouldn't you rather have no more of those things than no more of the good things? Such an interesting um, comparison when, when we think about life in this world and, and versus life in the kingdom because so many of us uh, are, are tempted to, to grab hold of the things of this world and, and to say, I want these things, these good things now. I want these good things here. I want these good things outside of the, the good gifts of grace of God. And instead, you know, we, we compromise then, or we're tempted to compromise. All those things are going to be taken away. And instead, the no, the no mores of our life 
will be all of the bad things of this life will be no more. All the former things will pass away. Leviticus. So early on in the the life of Israel, Leviticus chapter 26 reflects this longing for, this looking forward to, this promise of God. Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 and 12. And I set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. So early in the life of Israel, they already had these promises of God with them. God being their God and them belonging to God. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 26 to 28 says, and again, reflecting this idea, this longing for, this anticipation of this this moment. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them... And multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will love, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. They have these promises, this longing for, this looking forward to. This was already in their hearts. This day is coming. This day is coming. This day is coming. In the New Testament, this actually changes. This is almost and somewhat fulfilled, or uh, the reality of this becomes a little bit more real to us uh, through the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse sixteen says, "And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols?" Now, Paul was talking about you know the sin that uh, people were uh, indulging in. He says, for ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk with them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So in the New Testament time, once the Spirit of God descended after Christ ascended, we have lived in this reality in a greater way than the Old Testament saints would have. And that is that the, the Spirit of God dwells with us and that the, the book of the law is written on our hearts. And so we've already experienced this, this reality in a greater extent than what the children of Israel would have done in the Old Testament or before they became followers of Christ. My brother and sister, I wish I could go on. I wanted to catch the next three verses, next four verses, but... We don't have time. But if I could just encourage every one of you, uh, even when you know we, we face the, the, the dreads of winter, when we go to uh, our place of, of, of work perhaps, and we, we just feel that this is not my home. I don't fit in here. I, I'm, I'm having to fight against the, the ungodly influences of, of people all about me. Um, and when you go to school and, and, and perhaps you're, you're, you're subjected to the teaching of, of people with an agenda that is anti-God and that is putting forward a, a, a truth that is not a truth but actually a lie. And you feel, to, and you ask that question, how long, O oh Lord, will we be subjected to this, this, um, this untruth, this perversion against your word? When we are maybe in the, in the, in the, the, the bondage of, of illness and we long for the resurrected bodies. 
Let's be encouraged by these few verses that we have seen. Let's be encouraged by the, the vision that John would have seen, that the, the people of old would have all been looking forward to, that they would have been longing for. Because if we don't long for something, we get bogged down here. If we're never looking for the kingdom that, that will come, if we're never looking for that new Jerusalem, for the new heaven and the new earth, then we are going to very much and very quickly settle. We're going to settle here and we're going to be happy because we have nothing to look forward to. I, I encourage you to look at these verses again. Uh, let them sink into your hearts and then let's live in the light of eternity as we see it uh, listed here in these first four verses of Revelation 21.